Hey everybody, we're now coming to you, wrapping up our surviving and thriving message series. And we've, been, we've been taking this journey with Joseph. And today we're kind of wrapping up his life and his story um, with the thought of surviving and thriving until death. You know, one of my most unforgettable memories that I have was being by my grandmother's bedside when she was dying. I'll never forget watching her quietly and sometimes emotionally work through the memories of her life. And as she would go through these memories and come across certain experiences that seemed unresolved, she would want to make it right. She would ask for a certain person. She wanted, she wanted to talk to somebody. Why? Because she wanted to resolve those issues that she felt unresolved in her life. She cared about her relationships. You know, upon our death, we are defined not by what's on our tombstone as far as our, the year we were born and the year we died. You know what really defines us? It's the dash in the middle. That dash in the middle of those dates defines who we are because that's our life. That's the relationships we formed, the choices we made, the attitudes we had, the integrity of the people that we were. The dash is who we are. And so I guess it's kind of worth us asking ourselves internally as we, continue, as we prepare for this message, how satisfied are you with your dash? That's a question I often ask myself. How satisfied am I with my dash? I mean, if today was the day that Jesus called me home, how satisfied would I be with the dash that I lived? Of course, we all make mistakes, and perfection is not what we're talking about. But overall, am I satisfied with how I dealt with my, how I conducted myself in the relationships I had? How I conducted myself with my choices and my responses and my attitudes? You know, that matters. There's a book called Built to Last by Jim Collins. And in that book, he talks about making a BHAG. You know what a BHAG is? It's a big hairy, audacious goal. You know, a BHAG is a clear, compelling, and has a unifying focal point for all of the workers or all the people on a team to drive for. I mean, it is the thing that excites businesses. It is the thing that excites team workers or workers on, within a business or a work field that gets them going, that gives them their focus, that gives them all their purpose with the overarching theme of who they are and why they exist. You know, I've been thinking through that a little bit more on a personal level. You know, thinking about this more as a personal statement. Did you ever write a personal statement? A personal statement is a picture of who you are, your beliefs, your values, the guiding principles of who you are and how you journey through your life. And I thought about this in our own personal journey. And, and what if we just decided to write an audacious personal statement? You know, in other words, what defines you? What defines your life? The person that you are? What guides the choices that you make? How you respond to the circumstances that you face? Like we talked about last week, our life is 90% of what happens to us and 10% of how we respond to it. And so 
it's not about what happens to us, but how we respond. And so what are the guiding principles in your life that dictates how you respond to the journey, of, uh, to your journey and to the circumstances that we face? Because here's the bottom line. Here's the truth that we need to understand. If you want to thrive in your faith, if you want to thrive in your life beyond just surviving, if you truly want to thrive, you need to define your audacious personal statement. I think that's so important in our journey. And so often we overlook this or we don't even think about it. We just kind of go through the motions. But we need to define our audacious personal statement. You know, when we clearly understand what our own audacious personal statement is, then we can better align our choices and our responsibilities to the circumstances we face. Now, what that all means is this. Our alignment matters. And more, um, more importantly and more precisely, our spiritual alignment is crucial. It's crucial. You know, if you've driven a car, and I know many of you have, you know what, you know what it's like to drive a car that's out of alignment. What happens? It becomes erratic. It pulls you off the road. And the same is true spiritually. When our spiritual alignment is out of whack, then we get pulled off track from things that seem important, but really are not a priority. And you need to understand that there is a big difference between what is good and what is best. And when we are out of alignment spiritually, we get confused on that question, what is good and what is best. You know, a personal statement is an indication of your top priorities. It gives you a roadmap of who you are. What are your priorities? It's a guide to how you make your choices, what you say yes to and what you say no to. That's the roadmap that we need to identify, that's your audacious personal statement. So what's your audacious personal statement? Have you ever really even thought about that? Have you ever even tried to digest what that might mean for you? You know, the Apostle Paul, he actually had an audacious personal statement that's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Read along as I read, read out loud. Paul wrote these words to the church in Philippi. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then here it comes, his audacious personal statement. Paul writes this in verse 21 of Philippians 1, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was Paul's audacious personal statement. That was the reason he existed. That is what guided every choice he made, every attitude he had, every encounter he was in. This was what defined him. As Paul is revealing in these verses that he had an absolute dedication in his life towards Jesus. His life was Christ. 
His life was his focus. You know, he's saying, my life exists to honor Christ and to serve Christ by serving other people. And when I die, then I receive my reward. Then I receive my gain. What did he mean by that? Because in death, I am united with Christ. He's my trophy. He's my prize. He's everything I live for. So you think about it. You know, in this verse, he's identifying that. And death, getting really basic, is a separation. You know, physical death is a separation from your soul and your physical body. And when you give your lives to Jesus, you have a certainty that when your physical self separates from your soul, your soul then gravitates towards the heart of God and you will be with him for all eternity. And that is our gain. That is our goal. The finish line that we should be achieving for and striving for. And Paul's ambition is eternal life in Jesus. Paul's personal mission was to live his life for Jesus in this world representing Jesus well in how he served others, how he talked to others, and how he dealt with his life and his attitude and his choices in the middle of all the circumstances that he faced. And when our audacious, audacious personal statement is unfocused, when it's out of whack and we don't really know what it is, here's what tends to happen. Good things pull you away from what is best. It's not necessarily, boy, I'm getting a really bad sin or I'm really making horrible choices. That's not the problem that many of us are facing. You know what the problem is? We're allowing good things to get in the way of what is best. Maybe it's my kids' hobbies. their extracurricular activities that's defining our calendar and our resources so much so that church is no longer a focus or the primary, uh, the, the priority in our week each, each week of making it to church or, or doing whatever we need to do. Maybe it's my professional advancement. Maybe I've become so focused on advancing professionally and getting ahead that what was good took me away from what was best. And that's my relationship with Jesus and hanging out with him and, and honoring him by how I serve my family and serve my wife and serve my kids and serve my community and be a part of actively being a part of God's body in this world, which is the church. Or maybe, just maybe, it's my political concerns. You know, what was once good, a political leaning, is not necessarily a horrible or bad thing, but what tends to happen is what is good pulls me away from what is best, and I become more worldly focused than kingdom focused. And before we know it, we become spiritually out of alignment. Because what was best is no longer a priority in my life. To live for Christ and to die is gain. Sometimes what is good pulls us away from that. That's why it's so important to have this audacious personal statement so that we can always be in check. Hey, does this choice, does this direction, does this attitude, does this encounter, how does that align with that statement? How does that align with the priority of my life? And when you can go back and always have that as your sounding board, your bouncing board, you can pull yourself back when you're being misaligned. You know, the apostle Paul wrestled with this. 
He did. Just read his letters. He challenged. He was sometimes pulled off track and had to be pulled back on track. And so did Joseph in the Old Testament. He dealt with this. You know, understand this. In order to define your life's audacious personal statement, you need to be honest with what your life is centered around. You can't really write your audacious personal statement or understand it if you're not honest with what do I center my life around? What am I saying? Here's the foundation of who I am. You know, over the past few weeks, we've, we've taken this journey with Joseph. And we've seen the highs and we've seen the lows. And throughout his journey, we see Joseph's commitment to God. At a, at a young age, Joseph believed God had great plans for him. With all the dreams that he had, he knew God had something in store for him. Fast forward, when Joseph served Potiphar as a slave and was in slavery, and then later was imprisoned, we see Joseph's integrity that quickly rose him to the top. His, his faithfulness and trusting in God that God would always come through. And when Potiphar's wife tried to entice Joseph, he remained faithful, even though he was falsely accused. All in all, over and over again, Joseph was dealt difficult circumstances to, to face. He was constantly dealt a bad hand. But through it all, he kept relying on what, centered, what he centered his life around. And that was the God he served. He never allowed the circumstances to pull him out of alignment with that. He never allowed the things that may seem good in the moment pull him away from what is best for his life. And that's the challenge we need to find. You know, in Genesis, the, the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, concludes with Joseph and his brothers dealing with the death of his father. Then it ends with the death of Joseph. And between his father's death and his own death, we see the integrity and faithfulness play out one more time for Joseph. Soon after the death of his father, Joseph's brothers feared that Joseph would hold a grudge against him and kind of take, now take the opportunity to seek revenge. Dad's not there. He doesn't have to please dad anymore. Now he can really get back at us. And they sent Joseph a, a message pleading with Joseph and saying, Joseph, dad's one final wish was this, that you would forgive your brothers for the wrong that they did. And when Joseph received this message and read it, one more time, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 17, it's the Bible says that Joseph wept. We talked about last week of the emotions that Joseph was dealing with, and we see these emotions and the reality of his heart come out again. And then when his brothers came to Joseph, fearful for what may occur, this happened in Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for it to be good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. From that point on until his death, Joseph remained faithful. He remained faithful and he took care of his brothers and their families. He was the man of his word, a man of integrity. He knew the foundation he stood on and what that meant. 
And he followed through with it until his death. And then upon Joseph's death, he had his brothers take an oath to take his bones to his homeland. And from that point, God will take care of them and all their people through difficult days that would come ahead. See, Joseph's faith thrived because he trusted God who came through for him on many occasions. And he believed that that God who always came through would even come through for his brothers after he had died. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, in what's known as the Faith Hall of Fame, it highlights Joseph with these words. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. He was not perfect, but Joseph's life was de defined by his relationship with God. He, his faith thrived. You know why? Because it was centered around his trust and his commitment with the God he served and the God that he loved. Joseph, just like the Apostle Paul, had thriving faith until death because they were clear with what their life was centered around. And their audacious personal statement was clearly focused. And it kept them from... It kept them moving in the right direction, even when confusion surrounded them. And believe you me, both of these men had moments when confusion surrounded them. But in the middle of those circumstances, their focus was clear. Because they knew what their life centered around. They knew what their audacious personal statement was. Here's the bottom line. What we center our life around dictates the audacious personal statement that we choose to follow. It all connects together. Every one of it is closely intertwined with each other. This is how we can go beyond just trying to survive to truly thriving in our life, thriving in our faith journey. That's what we need to choose not allowing good to pull us away from what is best because we are clearly focused on why we are here, why we exist. Going back to the Apostle Paul, he put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I love these words that Paul wrote. And just like Joseph, Paul's audacious personal statement was living for Jesus. Here, as the apostle Paul approached his own death, he was reviewing his life and his journey, his dash. And he's describing his life being poured out like a drink offering. You know, this is taken from the Old Testament practices when they poured out a drink offering in worship. After a priest would sacrifice a lamb or a bull or a, or a, or a ram, he would pour out wine beside the altar. And this would symbolize the dedication that this person had in their worship to God. And so Paul, what he was saying, he felt his life, his living for Christ, his service to Christ, his serving others, the choices that he made, the attitude that he had, how he 
lived his life was an act of worship to Jesus that he was now pouring out upon his death. And the choices he made and the focus of who he was was a complete worship to the God that he served. To what his life was centered around. To the personal statement that he chose to live by. Though his life faced many hardships, imprisonments, and controversy for Jesus, Paul's life thrived. And likewise, though Joseph's life faced controversy and hardship and, and imprisonment, he thrived because there was something greater within than that surrounded him. That's what he centered his life around. And thriving until death, pouring out our lives as a drink offering is closely associated with each other. This is about viewing our lives, our choices, our attitudes, our response to the circumstances that we face, how we treat and respond to others as worshiping Jesus. It's not just when we gather together or from your living room when we praise and sing these songs. That's just one small part of, small, small part of worship. You know what worship really is? When you live your life, what you do beyond these walls, how you encounter and interact with the world, and how you conduct yourself out and about, how you represent Jesus, that is your act of worship. That is it. And that's what Paul was saying here. And like Paul and Joseph before him, when we, when we pour out our life during the, our last days, although we would be very, it would be very difficult for us to go sometimes towards the world or towards Jesus when difficulties face us, we need to ask ourselves, does my life does my dash represent Jesus well? Does my dash and what, how I lived out my dash, is it worshiping him and the person that I am and the choices I make? Or did I really just live a life being spiritually out of alignment? I was more focused on my own desires. I was more focused on the good things than what is best. You know, in the short letter that Jude wrote in the New Testament, Jude is encouraging the followers of Christ that although the world around them is becoming corrupt and going against Jesus, that they need to persevere and remain faithful. And then in verse 20 and 21 of the letter Jude wrote, he writes these words, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy place, in, the, in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You know, in these verses, Jude is contrasting those who are denying Christ and living against Jesus with the dear friends, those who are aligned with the heart of God, with Jesus. And in these verses, Jude provides. I think four very important commands to thrive in our faith. You know, look at this verse. Build yourselves up in the faith. What Jude is suggesting for us as Christians and followers of Christ is to collectively build ourselves up 
in the faith and encourage and build each other us, others up in the faith while the world is trying to destroy it. This involves us taking our respons- the responsibility for our own spiritual journey and the responsibility of other people around us and in helping encourage and strengthen them. It's my responsibility to feed myself and grow in the God's word. And I also have a responsibility as I grow to encourage and strengthen other people in the faith. That's what the church is. It's what we're all about. We are a part of that. We also see that Jude said to pray in the Holy Spirit. You know, Jude here is contrasting the, the unbelief and of those who are outside of Christ, who don't really have the Spirit in them, with those who are in Christ and those who do have the Spirit. And with the Spirit, we have the ability to confess that Jesus is Lord and those outside of Jesus deny him. And the heart of Jude, what the heart of Jude is saying here is signifying that we are confessing Christ and receiving his help and guidance when we give our lives over to him. And we have the spirit to guide us. So pray in the spirit to Jesus and the spirit will guide you and lead you in all that you do. Next, he says, keep yourselves in God's love. This is more about keeping in God's love for us than it is about trying to love others. You know, God's love for us is unending but it calls for effort to stay in the faith and to stay in his love. Many people have abandoned their position with God and many pervert God's grace and pervert his love by the choices that they make. But we must find contentment within God's love. That's what Joseph did. No matter where he was in slavery, imprisonment, or wherever, he was content. Why? Because he had the love of God in his life. Despite the circumstances that surround us, I am content because I am within God's love. And finally, wait for the mercy of Jesus to bring you eternal life. You know, Jude encourages us to wait on God. That's not an easy thing to do, especially in difficult days. This is relying on the sure hope that Jesus is there with us that our life is centered around him and that through him we have mercy, mercy that just doesn't occur now, but mercy that comes for all eternity. Waiting for the day is not merely just a passive tense. It's an action-oriented word. It's saying, I am waiting for thee. I'm waiting for him to come and I'm actively doing my part in building the church up and helping other people to know his love while I wait for him. You know, the bottom line is this. The four actions to thrive, simple. Build, pray, keep, wait. If you forget everything else, remember those words. Build, pray, keep, wait. Build yourself up and build others up within the church. Keep yourself focused in the spirit of God and praying towards Jesus. Keep yourself in God's love and actively wait for the coming of Jesus again. Because here's the sobering reality. Life was never promised to be easy. We've, it's never promised us to always be good days or always be easy to journey in our faith. We center our lives in Jesus, not so that we have a buddy-buddy when days are good, but so that when things are falling all around us, or confusion surrounds us, we have the everlasting strength when the difficulties come our way. 
You, can, you want to experience the fullness of the hope and life that comes from Jesus? He needs to be the center of who you are. You need to develop an audacious personal statement that there clearly defines what you stand for, what you center your life around, your story to thrive in your journey, to thrive in life, to thrive in your faith like Paul and like Joseph. You need to build yourself up in your faith and others around you. You need to constantly be praying. You need to keep yourself in God's love and God's presence. And you need to be actively waiting for Jesus. Then you can be aligned. And whenever those difficult days come, just like they did for Joseph and Paul, you can have a clear focus of what steps to take, of what attitudes to have, of how to conduct yourself because you are standing on a firm foundation. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you because you are good. And Father, I just pray right now that you would just guide us and lead us towards your heart. Help us to know more fully what your love is all about and how we can thrive in you. Lord, I pray that you can convict us when we center our lives around things that may be good, but it's not the best. Lord, you are the best. Like Paul said, we live for you and death is our gain because we're with you for all eternity. And help us clearly define our journey through that. May we be centered around the foundation of you and may you guide the choices we make, the attitudes we have, and how we represent you in this world, that we may truly thrive. Lord, help us to build ourselves up in the faith and be an active part of building others up around us within the church. Help us to constantly be in connection with you and experiencing your love and actively wait for the day when you call us home or when you come back to get us. Lord, may we live fully for you. And through that, may we experience the fullness of all that you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.